Support for this podcast is provided by Getaway. Getaway offers escapes to tiny cabins nestled in nature just two hours from Portland near Mount Adams. It's an experience that helps you slow down, disconnect from work and technology, and reconnect with yourself and others. Every cabin is dog-friendly and provides everything you need and nothing you don't. Take $20 off your first escape when you book with code EXECUTIVE at www.getaway.house. Support is also provided by Beat Check, a new podcast by The Oregonian. Join host Andrew Thien every week as he explores Oregon's biggest stories with the reporters that know them best. Subscribe to Beat Check wherever you get podcasts to hear the latest episodes. Hey everyone, you're listening to PDX Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Bruton. On today's episode is Steve Brown, futurist, my favorite title, <laughs> and author of The Innovation ultimatum coming out february 5th february right the 5th i'm excited thanks for coming back on steve yeah my pleasure glad to be back dan so let's talk about i want to get into the book but also see what you've been up to since we last talked which is ah, a year and a half ago mm-hmm. so uh it, for, for folks who maybe didn't listen to that episode or don't know you can you give you your little background uh, history yeah. yeah so i was in high tech for uh, 30 years um engineering. I got a couple of degrees in, in microelectronics, uh, a lot of time in Intel's business. I worked for Intel for a very long time. Um, and then I, I finished as one of Intel's two futurists. So helping Intel to plan ahead 10 years, uh, designing a chip at Intel takes about seven years. So getting out ahead of that, we had to model what the world was like right. 10 years ahead. And I've been doing that. I retired from Intel in 2016, uh, and I'm now an independent futurist. So futurist for hire. And I've worked for lots of different companies, yeah. uh, Fortune 10, down to nonprofit organizations, uh, like manufacturing industry organizations, yeah. um, people promoting particular cities or economic areas, local government. But, you know, some of the big brands that I can't mention because yeah. I'm under NDA, yeah, <laughs> but uh, helping big companies to figure out what's the world feel like to live in a decade from now and how will technology and changes in people's attitudes mm-hmm. change the way they need to run their business. And that's why I wrote this book. Yeah. Uh, trying yeah. to get people to... because. People would always want to go deeper. Right. Uh, I tend to stand on stage and talk for 30 to 90 minutes mm-hmm. and people wanted to go deeper. So that's why I wrote the book. Yeah. So tell me about the process of uh, writing a book. I know I was mentioning to you my former life. I owned a small book publishing company. So I know that world a little bit. Um, you know, tell me about the, again, I, you just said the motivation for writing it, but just like sitting down pen to paper and saying, Hey, these are the themes I want to pass on. Uh, so you can talk about a little bit about that. Yeah. It, it all started with thinking, um, you know, I'm really interested in this notion of purpose driven businesses, mm-hmm. um, you know, third bottom line companies that uh, don't just think about the shareholders, the shareholders and, and financials are a result of execution and good execution against their humanistic purpose. Right. And, you know, I did a, quite a bit of research in that area. I've done some, um, some work with clients in that area, but it, I suddenly realized I need to turn that on myself. Hmm. What is my purpose as a futurist? What is the service I deliver? And I realized what I'm really trying to do is help people to build a better future for other people. Yeah. Um, you know, the future is not something that just happens to us, right? It's the future is coming, get the children inside. Um, <laughs> it, it's the future, as my good friend Brian David Johnson, the other former futurist right. at Intel, likes to say, the future is built by people working together. And largely that's people working inside companies, inside businesses uh, and other organizations. So I wanted to help 
businesses and other organizations to figure out what's the future that they want to build and how can they use technology to better serve people. So that's where it started. And then I, I started coming to this notion of the title being the innovation ultimatum. There's, there's really two pieces, uh, two dimensions to it. The first is probably more obvious, which is the competitive yeah. ultimatum, right? Uh, innovate or die. Um, there are some very powerful technologies that are all maturing in the next decade, mm -hmm. six, I would argue. Mm -hmm. um, and collectively, those can be woven together to drive dramatic change, improve operations, create far more interesting and powerful products and services, and just to serve people better. Uh, and the gap between companies that don't embrace technology and those that do, there's always been a gap. That gap is going to widen dramatically in the 2020s. Let's break down those six, uh, if, if you don't mind. Yeah. So let's start with uh, I'm assuming AI is one of them. You would be right. <laughs> so yeah. let's maybe start there. What's your yeah. uh, thoughts on that? And specifically when you're you're getting hired to go to companies and you know uh, lead a talk or a workshop, mm -hmm. uh, what are some of the things you can share that you might be you know passing on to them? And so what's their reaction? Yeah, uh, that's a lot of questions. But let's multi-part. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, well, let's talk about what are the six technologies. I think there are there are six technologies, strategic technologies that in this decade will change every business on the planet without exception. And historically, there have been quite a few industry sectors that have not really had to embrace technology. You know, there have been some laggards. If you think about construction, uh, to some extent, retail, uh, healthcare, and, and for good reasons, for the regulatory reasons. Mm -hmm. But technology is going to affect every business just because it is so much more powerful than it was. Uh, I would argue we're going to see more change in business in the next 10 years than the last 40. Wow. Now, the reason I say that is if I think about the last 40 years, there are really four big technologies that transform business. The coming of the PC in the 80s, the web and the internet in the 90s, uh, mobile and mm -hmm. cloud come at the same time in the 2000s. Those were big leaps forward that changed the way that people created value and ran their businesses. Yeah. We're going to see six technologies all in the same decade, all as powerful, that are building this intimate connection between the digital and the physical worlds, allowing more value to stream across that bridge mm -hmm. from the digital world, which we know, increase, you know increases in value exponentially. Yeah. So those six technologies. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Let's hear um, so artificial intelligence, for sure. Um, blockchain technology which we can get into as well. Mm -hmm. The Internet of Things, so putting sensors into anything and everything uh, and connecting the, you know, the internet to physical objects very intimately. Uh, 5G networking and satellite networking combined together sort of next generation networking. Mm -hmm. um, augmented reality and autonomous machines. So those six technologies combined um, and combined creatively and different industries will use them in different ways. Right. You put all those together, that is a dramatic landscape of change. Yeah. And so you're there to help um, you know, navigate these companies. Let's, let's go into a couple. Uh, and we don't want to, we'd be here for hours. We talked about everything. Uh, I am interested in AR just because I have two little kids and yeah. I'm just fascinated how they're going to interact with AR as in you know, the next 10 years, like you said. So what are some kind of thoughts on, on that, how it's going to accelerate the next 10 years, some things in their future with AR that we're going to, we're going to see? Um, yeah, I mean, augmented reality, which is blending digital content and objects, holograms, if you like, mm -hmm. in your field of view. So virtual reality embeds you in a 100% digital world. Augmented reality 
doesn't wall you off from the physical world. So it's much more useful, and in yeah. a business context, far more useful. So I think it is the inter- it is the next interface. Um, mobile, with the coming of touch interfaces and you know tiny little screens in our pockets, right. changed the world, changed the way that businesses operate, changed the way that we live our lives. I think augmented reality is the next hmm. thing uh, because it is going to present information to us in a much more natural way. It's not going to be trapped inside little screens anymore, little rectangular boxes. The new palette, the new display is the physical world. Right. And you know what it means is, you know, if, when your kids go to buy a TV, they're probably not going to go to Costco and buy their 150-inch television <laughs> and haul it back in a truck, mm-hmm. right? They're going to go online and download that TV for 99 cents wow. and put it wherever they want. Yeah. So, you know, things like that, just the, the displays will still be around, but the, the, the dematerialization of, of displays, the ability to display content in a format that is natural for the human brain, mm. right? Even flat displays are not supernatural for us. Yeah. Supernatural is not the right word, but, <laughs> but not very yeah. natural for us. Yeah. Um, you know, we are used to dealing with a 3D world to, to, it, to show information in the 3D world and to overlay it on reality mm-hmm. enables all sorts of possibilities. So you can start to imagine, as an example, hybrid workers. So combining AI and AR. Okay. So the natural interface for an AI to communicate with a person and guide them on what to do next uh, is to show them in augmented reality. To right. say, you know, put a screw in here, tighten, yeah. um, remove this cable mm-hmm. harness. Mm-hmm. What it means is you can train somebody in real time, step by step, so they can be productive day one. That's, all, that's amazing. So what you're yeah. creating there is a hybrid worker, which is a combination of human dexterity, human intelligence, experience, and digital intelligence right. as well. And so that, I mean, there's a, there's a company across the water uh, in Vancouver, Real ID. Mm-hmm. You know them, so they. I think that's a little bit what they do for more for the construction industry. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but AR is really interesting yeah. in construction. I think it's really interesting in, in a lot of industries where people use their hands. Yeah, you know, we often think that you know a lot of people sit in offices with their computers, and that's what you know that's that's how people work. <laughs> right. No, eighty percent of people work not in that world. Mm-hmm. They're working with their hands or they're working in highly mobile environments, think retail. Yeah. So for them, you know, even tablets and smartphones aren't really appropriate. So this is going to be computing for the rest of us. Yeah. And in construction, you know, you can use it to do, and it's crazy how construction still runs. It's 2020 and we're still using 2D printed blueprints. Right. So while all of the architects create all this stuff, in a building information model, which is full 3D, mm-hmm. it's then printed out and put on site as 2D flat models. And these yeah. poor people have to look up and try and figure out, well, okay, that's I think that's where the electrical system goes. That's where the HVAC goes. <laughs> right. How do we re- route that? It's, and it's a real mess. That's why there are so many errors on site. Yeah, so there's going to get totally transformed. And I mean, for the business side of, of me and you, it's like there's mm-hmm. a lot of opportunity in that, oh, right? It's gigantic. So. I mean, even in uh, healthcare, I mean, yeah. surgery. If you are trying to use imaging in surgery, now my wife does surgery a couple of times a week. She's a physician assistant. Okay. And, you know, when, when the surgeon is over the person slicing into them, they're looking off to the side to see the imaging mm-hmm. and trying in their head to, to project that over what they're seeing, to be able to just overlay the two 
and do it in a hands-free way where they just can gesture and use voice to control the system, mm -hmm. way more effective. So let's talk about also 5G. I mean, everybody's, re I'm reading about it. I don't know if we fully grasp the implications of what that mm -hmm. is going to mean. So do you mind breaking it down a little bit? Of yeah, I mean, it's one more G, so it must be better, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, and it is. It, yeah, yeah. It's, in terms of downloads, we're used to one more G, meaning faster data. And it's going to be 10 to 100 times faster than 4G that we have today, 4G LTE. Wow. Um, but that's not, that, that's a big story. Um, but what's most interesting is that the latency is much reduced. And what that means is the time it takes from when my computer asks for something from the internet and when it comes back, when it starts coming back, is much shorter and it's guaranteed. Wow. So what that means is you can start to create applications and build products that leverage that low latency 5G to push computing power out of the product itself mm. and into the cloud or into the edge of the network. And so you can start to imagine streaming virtual reality, streaming augmented reality headsets, where much of the computing power is not happening in the headset anymore. It's happening at the edge, mm -hmm. in the cell tower, or um, somewhere in the cloud. And that means you can have much cheaper products, much more powerful products, and you can have the feeling like there's a supercomputer inside everything just by virtue mm. of it being connected by 5G. So when you're out there, again, you get back to speaking to companies um, and with the release of this book, what's like, I assume you're speaking to, you know, their senior leadership team a lot of the times. Mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're, do their eyes glaze over or they want to jump in and actually give some meaningful, you know, work to transform this and get ahead of this? Or, I mean, it varies, I'm sure, but. It, it does a lot. And part of my challenge as a speaker is to really read the room because there's so much great stuff coming. Uh, and I've got so much I can talk about when I'm on stage. I have to figure out, well, how much can they take? Yeah. Because if I give them too much right now, it just becomes so overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And especially when you start to get into topics like AI, where quite honestly, the water has been muddied. Mm. Um, yeah, we've all seen Terminator and the Matrix, and <laughs> right, yeah. you know, and so we have these misgivings. Yeah. Um, and we should be cautious about AI, but there's a good chance that one of your listeners right now that's listening to this, they or their children's lives will be saved by a drug that is co-developed by an AI. So mm. AI is a very powerful tool and a very powerful force for good if we use it right. Right. So yeah, when I'm talking to audience, I have to really think about what are the few things that they can consume right now and what are some simple next steps they can take right. to take them to the next level? And then we can have a further conversation. Yeah, not scare them to death where, I mean, I'm on the same page with you. It's like, if, if you don't put yourself out of business, someone else will, right? right? So you have to have that mindset and it's it's a shift and it's probably extremely hard to get through a lot of the times. Yeah, and and so when we first started talking about the the term, the innovation ultimatum, yeah. I said there's, there's two components to it. The first is that competitive, if I don't put myself out of business, somebody else right. will piece. Uh, and that becomes even more true with these very powerful technologies that are, I hate to use the word disruptive, but yep, they are. Yeah. Uh, the second dimension is a moral dimension, I think, hmm. which is, and this is why I was you know, really focused on the purpose side of things. There is a moral imperative that if we can use these technologies to do good for people, then we should. And for businesses to figure out, given how powerful these technologies are, you know, AI gives machines the abilities to see, it importantly gives us the ability to see the world in new ways. And we can talk about that in a second. Mm -hmm. um, 
we need to figure out how we use these to help more people in more profound ways. Hmm. So that's the other side of this right. ultimatum is, you know, a real challenge to ourselves as humans to figure out how do we help more humans using these, you know, powerful technologies. And it sometimes seems counterintuitive. You know, more technology doesn't necessarily yeah, mean yeah. more human connection. Yeah. But if you do it right, that's what it can mean. And, well, getting back to also uh, your futurist, and again, Brian David Johnson at Intel, and I met him a while ago too. What's the world of the futurists uh, look like? Because a lot of them now, like Brian, I believe is at Arizona State. Mm -hmm. So um, are, are there a lot of folks like you at big companies still? Or what's that like? Um, I know Intel kind of has some folks. It's shifted a little bit, but I'm just curious if that. It really depends on the organization. Yeah. Some companies I work with, there are foresights people um, who do what I do and they're just looking for me to turbocharge what they're doing. Right. Other companies do not have foresights people, but they do have strategic planning people. Mm -hmm. So you can provide them with a useful input mm -hmm. to help them to figure out what to do next. Other companies I talk to, you know, maybe have one person whose job is strategy and they're just desperate for my help. So <laughs> yeah. it really depends on the organization. Yeah. But uh, companies that don't think forward, you know, two, five, seven years are really missing out. And, and that's difficult for some industries. I mean, retail, six months is a long time for them. Sometimes yeah. next month is kind of a long way away. Yeah. I mean, you've been in that world the next quarter and that kind of mindset. Yeah, and I don't blame them. Yeah. You know, I, I get, I get what it's like mm -hmm. but uh you know that's not gone well for the retail sector <laughs> right <laughs> it doesn't doesn't bode well for other sectors that also don't want to dig in and, and i get this can feel overwhelming you know if you are leading a company and your job is to lead strategy for that company you're not necessarily an expert in ai yeah. in augmented reality in 5g nor should you be expected to be, but you should at least understand what they are right. and what they can do for your business. And that's what I try and help people to do. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've talked about big business, but the impact for small businesses or even folks like me, that's a business of one and doing multiple projects. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? And just the opportunity to help scale small businesses or with these tools. So whether it be, you know, stuff that's already out there, marketing automation or I don't know if there's other things. Yeah. I mean, the great thing is that a lot of these, um, you know, if you're a massive business, maybe you can invest in a huge IT department yeah. that can design cool stuff from scratch using mm -hmm. AI, sensors, mm -hmm. blockchain, whatever. Most companies on the planet are, don't have a big IT department. And so they need to rely on their suppliers. And so what I tr tell people is, you know, three steps here. When I tell them all this information, first one, don't panic, right? <laughs> the, fact that, the fact that you're it's listening. It's probably a common. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, exactly. And it, yeah. I see it in people's eyes and I understand why. Uh, but don't panic because by virtue of you listening to me as a futurist, you're ahead of the game already. Mm -hmm. Secondly, don't wait, right? Don't panic, don't wait because it's sometimes easy. Well, I, you know, I had a lovely English voice. You sounded <laughs> like I was listening to the BBC. It was very interesting. Yeah. Now I'm going to go back to what I was doing before. Uh, don't do that. You know, that doesn't serve anybody well. And then the third thing is get help, right? You, every business on the planet is going to be a tech company yeah. and a data company, whether they like it or not. Um, and if they don't become those things, then they're not going to be around forever. Um, and they're going to go through a period of painful decline and into irrelevance. Right. So in order to avoid that, they need to get help from their suppliers. And what I try and give people is here are the questions to go ask your suppliers. 
Here are the things to go ask them for. Here are the capabilities you should demand. And if you're not getting them, get new suppliers. Mm. But it's, you know, that companies shouldn't be expected, especially small businesses, they can't be expected to create this stuff themselves. Yeah. But I try and empower them to ask the right questions. I love that. I love that. And like I said, there's so many companies out there now with these that can, can help small businesses. I'm really excited about it. So let's get into blockchain. I know our mutual uh, connection, Jeff Gauss, who mm-hmm. he knows everybody. It feels like, <laughs> yes, he uh, does. The great connector. Yes. Uh, you, you know, he helped uh, start the blockchain studio and uh, he's starting another company, which I know you're a little involved in. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about yeah blockchain. What's going on with it? Where is it at right now? Some Yeah. I mean, here we are in 2020. Blockchain is 10, 11 years old as a technology, Uh, initially was the underpinning technology in Bitcoin. Um, And it's come quite a long way since then. Uh, And for for many reasons, blockchain has not taken off yet, where it took too much power, um, not particularly sustainable, uh, couldn't handle many transactions per second. It was limited on the Mm. technology side. Mm -hmm. All those problems have now been removed. And what blockchain gives you is a platform which helps to commoditize trust, uh, enables strangers, third parties to do business with each other and exchange value without having another third party to go, yep, you're good for it, you're good for it. Mm -hmm. So brokers, clearinghouses, anybody that is there to help strangers do business um, you know, they become less relevant. You don't need those intermediaries and you can take those out of the equation. Mm. It's also useful for storing data in uh, an immutable way. So if, if, for example, in supply chains, being able to trace product and so that that data cannot be edited on the way through the supply chain and you can know and prove where your product came from and how it got to you, uh, that's a big deal. I think we're going to see consumers demand to know where their products came from um, and what it took to make those products. Right. Um, you know, how far did this travel? How much carbon was released to make this product and to get it to me? Yeah. Uh, how much water was used to make this product? Is this product what I really think it is? Right. I mean, you look at some of the stuff that happens in the food supply chain. If you yeah. go into a restaurant in the States and you order halibut, do you know what your chances of getting halibut are, Dan? I don't know. I don't want to know, Steve. It's, a, it, it's about 50-50. Yeah. Because somewhere along the way, somebody, I'm putting air quotes here for those yeah, of you who yeah. can't, uh, made a mistake, right? They mislabeled it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you get red snapper, I'm told reliably it's 10% chance that it's actually red snapper. Right. That transparency in the supply chain. Which, right. What am I putting in my body? Right. Right. How, what herbicides were used to create this? Mm-hmm. Now, building out all the sensors, all of the uh, scanners, all of the AI um, to gather all of this and store it into a blockchain is a long-term project. This is mm-hmm. a 10 to 20-year build-out. Okay. But at the end of that, we have the prospect of you being able to take out your smartphone of the time, or maybe it's your augmented reality glasses, yeah. look at an object and see the story of that and see what you care about highlighted. Wild. But exciting. Yeah. And we should demand that, right? We Mm -hmm. need to demand more from our supply chain. And I think brands also want this too. They're being screwed left, right, and center by their suppliers and their retailers. And they want more control Hmm. over their supply chain. And this blockchain has, uh, it's not just about immutable data. It's about being able to put governance in there that puts incentives for compliance. 
so that people aren't incented to screw you over. Right. Hey, I shipped you a hundred. <laughs> well, actually, no, you shipped me yeah. ninety-four. Um, you know, prove it. Hmm. And so, being able to remove that uh, that slack from the supply chain. You know, there's a lot of shrink. There's diversion. There's counterfeiting. Uh, blockchain can do a lot to help in that regard too. Yeah, and I, I think that's what Jeff's company is tackling one of mm-hmm. one of the things. And you know, I'm not, I'm not sure if this is one of your six, but it's still uh, important. I think is just voice. I had a gentleman named John Stein. I don't know if you, you know John. He's, I know John very well. Oh, great. Okay, uh, talk come on the podcast and talk about that. What's what's your thoughts around just voice? It might not be again one of these six things you cover in the book, but. It is covered in the book, okay. but I cover it under AI okay. um, as you know, natural language interfaces. And there's natural language understanding and then natural language generation. You put those together, you've got natural language processing. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole section on that in the book and what it takes to do that and what you have to think through in order to make that possible. Uh, what John Stein's doing, you know, one of the, the nicest, kindest, most thoughtful people on the planet, yeah. um, he is working on building an open voice network. Um, so the same way that... You know, if you think about the very early days of getting online, in the days when you yeah, to get online, yeah. um, you know, it was Prodigy and uh, CompuServe and AOL, and you lived in these walled gardens. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly we got the internet and we had Yahoo and we right. could go where we wanted. Uh, John is trying to do the same thing for voice. Uh, you know, because at the moment you have these enclaves of Google Assistant mm-hmm. or Alexa. Uh, I'm sorry if I just set one off in your house um, when you're listening to <laughs> yeah. this. Uh, that, you know, they're great, but wouldn't it be nice to have an open system yeah. uh, m- much more akin to the internet? So uh, voice is definitely changing the way we interact with computers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to make them more natural. Uh, what's interesting and, and hasn't been focused on as much is natural language generation. Hmm. How do you start to create the ability for computers to create natural language. And you're starting to see computers now be able to write simple articles Mm. um, and to understand um, written text. Mm. So voice is is cool, but natural language more broadly is interesting. There's a company in Israel called Law Geeks. And they created a piece of software that can understand NDAs, non-disclosure agreements. And they did a test where they had the Law Geeks AI look at five NDAs. These were real NDAs from real American companies. Okay. And they also had 20 real human lawyers look for those NDAs to find what are the things you would not sign? What are the things that, as a good lawyer, you would recommend? Nope, not to sign. You need to strike this clause. Okay. So sort of problems with the NDAs. The average human lawyer found 85% of those issues. The best human lawyer found 95%. The worst, 63%. Okay. And the average human took 92 minutes to complete that process. So what does Lawyer the AI fees, do? I don't even want to. Yeah, right. So the AI <laughs> found 94% of the issues, so very similar to the best mm-hmm. lawyer, mm-hmm. and it did it in 26 seconds. That's crazy. So 200 times faster. Now, when I told a big group of lawyers that, I was a little nervous. <laughs> yeah. I, I literally had, it was the International Society of Barristers, and I had maybe 300 of them in a room. Okay. And I told them the story, and I expected you know, silence and concern. Mm-hmm. They were thrilled. Because nobody goes to law school thinking, I cannot wait to do those contracts and NDAs. Right. Right. In that whole legal tech world, I mean, obviously we have a couple of big ones here in Portland that mm-hmm. are uh, disrupt, you know, e-discovery and such. So it seems like a uh, a good industry to be uh, upended a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I think any, well, anything that is 
figuring out how to do the drudgery, the things that humans have to do but don't really want to do, yeah. um, is a good thing. And that's generally when we think about automation sweeping in, you know, we worry about truck drivers being replaced and that sort of thing. And that, you know, it's a concern, of course. Um, but mostly it's going to offload the tasks that we don't want to do. And AI is going to turbocharge our creative abilities. And some of the work that Autodesk just across the, yeah. the river here is doing with generative design is fabulous. Interesting. You know, really helping to help us to be more creative as humans. Well, like we, you know, we've talked about several Portland companies. Let's circle back like I always like to do and talk about Portland. You know, yeah. after you retired from Intel, I'm sure you had your, you could go anywhere. You can move anywhere. You decided to stay here. I did, uh, yeah. Why? But also, what's your thoughts as we grow since you've left Intel? A lot of exciting stuff happening here in the you know, business, uh, in regards to business, love to get your you know, thoughts where we are here. Yeah, I chose to stay in Portland and I, I did think about, well, okay, I've been here for almost 20 years. Um, is it time to move on somewhere else? And I looked around and I thought, well, where would I go? You know, should I go back to England and be amongst my people? Uh, or should I, you know, go, go to Europe? I'd love to spend some more time in Europe and immerse myself in the culture there. But everywhere I looked at, there were compromises and on balance, I just found Portland the best quality of life for me, mm -hmm. suited me. Uh, I live downtown. I, I don't own a car. I walk everywhere. Uh, it feels sort of European to me. Yeah. Um, but I just love the vibrancy in Portland. I love the progressive attitude. I love, I wouldn't call it the weirdness. I don't, I don't think people are weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I think they're just fabulously, you know, interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why I've stuck around. And it, it is nice to see that there is ongoing investment in Portland. And I think we're on the verge, I hope, of getting some big anchor company to invest here. I know that CBRE mm. um, is, you know, trying to make sure that those office spaces exist yeah. to bring in some more big anchor clients for them um, right. and employers for the Portland area. And I think, you know, the, there is recognition now that there is a base here of highly creative talent. And, you know, from a salary perspective, this is also very attractive versus Bay Area right? Um, or even Seattle. Yeah, I just talked to two people already this week are moving here from New York and see one just out of never been here before, just yep. moving here, leaving a big job. And it's just kind of like, well, it's a good place. I hope it works out. <laughs> every, like every Uber or Lyft driver I talked to, like, oh, yeah, I just moved here. It's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's been our MO, right? These small, Intel's an exception, um, you know, small company or satellite offices. Mm -hmm. You have like Google, they're building a bigger office here. So they just keep investing slowly. So it's exciting to see, see what happens. It is. And uh, as people come here and they discover the quality of life, they want to move here. Mm -hmm. And that's a good sign. Yeah. Well, Steve, thanks for uh, coming back on the podcast. Innovation Ultimatum. Innovation Ultimatum, available on Amazon, at Powell's, uh, Barnes & Noble, Wow Books, wherever you want to get it. All good booksellers, uh, available February the 5th. And it's baldfuturist.com? Baldfuturist.com. Yeah, that's me, Steve Brown. All right. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve.